Over the next three weeks, we are in the book of Ephesians. I'll probably uh, uh, hopscotch. Uh, we have a couple of guest speakers, and then I'll probably jump back into it in, uh, in September. Here's what I want to do, I want to ask you to do, um, is that I want you to take the time over the next 60 days to read the book of Ephesians through in its entirety. It won't take you very long. It's only six chapters. Um, you can move through it pretty quickly. Uh, there's, there's a reason for that. When I was in Bible college, um, one of the things that we were taught was that uh, there are different genres. That's a fancy word, right? There are different genres in the Bible. So the Bible is basically a, a big library that's got a bunch of different kinds of books in it. And so some of those books are history. Some of those books are wisdom literature. Some of them are poetry. Some of them are, uh, you know, are historical narrative like gospels and those kind of things. So when you get to the, the epistles, the epistles were written by an apostle for a specific occasion. There was a specific people in mind. There was a specific occasion and and so just in the same way that if I if I sent you a, if if I hadn't talked to you in a long time and I decided to sit down and put pen on paper and I wrote yeah pen and paper they still work how many analog lovers are out there? You got your favorite pen and you got that stationery and you like that. Come on, yeah. It's 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 facing a comeback now because people are like, what what meaneth this? It's pen and paper. I don't know, you know. Uh, and, and so you but but you sit down and you write somebody a letter, and after you write them a letter and you send it, how many of you just to sit down and say, I'm gonna read the first three lines of this and I'm gonna put it down till tomorrow? We don't do that. We sit down and we said, okay, it, there's a greeting and I want to hear what this person has to say. And I read it all the way to the end, right? And, I, and, I, and if it's really good, especially encouraging, can I tell you, don't send me an anonymous letter. I don't spend any time reading them. I look first to see who sent it and then I'll, and then I'll sit down and read it. But if it's anonymous, forget about it. Just so you know. Note to self. Sign your name. And, uh, and so, and so you sit and you read it and you read all the way through. And so the epistles were meant to be read aloud. This is the way they originally were. They were meant to be read aloud from start to finish. So we'd start. And so, so the, the church at Ephesus would start reading, uh, you know, from verse one and they'd read all the way through to the end in one sitting. That would have been probably a church service. Now, I was first challenged to do this in Bible college when I had a, a Romans professor who said, thou shalt read the book of Romans in one sitting six times over the next 13 weeks. And some of y'all are like, Hoo! and then some of y'all will read some scary Harry Potter book or something, and you will read it for hours and hours and hours. Shame on you. No, <laughs> the word of the Lord right? And, and so what I found in reading the book of Romans through in one sitting is that I picked up on patterns, I picked up on thought processes that were in the text that I wouldn't get if I just sat down and did my personal devotions and read one chapter at a time. And by the way, those chapter divisions weren't there when, when the letter was written in the first place, right? They were added later so that we could navigate our way around in Scripture. So God wants his word to be understood by you, but you can't properly understand it, specifically an epistle, unless you read all the way through and catch the flow of thought. And so I just encourage you to do that at least once between now and the, and the next 60 days because I, I believe you're going to pick up some things. For instance, uh, need some glasses for this, right? Um, um, I'm going to circle back around and start my message in a minute. This is just all preview. Um, so I just want to hit on a few metaphors, right, that we're going to, that we're going to see in the book of Ephesians chapter one, the church is God's redeemed people. 
Chapter 2, the church is God's household. Chapter 3, the church is God's family. Chapter 4, the church is God's body. Chapter 5, the church is God's bride. Chapter 6, the church is God's army. So when you look at the book of Ephesians, you're actually looking at all of these different lenses that God puts over his people and says, this is who they are to me. Um, how many of you have, have had situations where you maybe have bifocals or trifocals or something like that? Be honest, go ahead. How many of you have uh, contacts that you have one that's for near sight and one that's for far sight? I didn't even know that was a thing until I was talking to my mother-in-law one day. I'm like, what? Come on. So depending on which eye you're looking through, things look different, right? Some, some things are closer, some things are near, whatever the case may be. And, and so based on that, when we look at the book of Ephesians, when we say the church is an army, and this, I want to say the 80s and the 90s, the church was the army. That's what every, we declare that the kingdom of God is here. We declare that the kingdom of God is here. You don't, y'all don't remember that. It's true. And, and you had a lot of things that were in the scripture that, that they take one lens and they put it and they say, this is what it is. But the problem is the church is way more than an army. It's the bride of Christ. You know, so there's the bride motif, there's the body motif, there's the family motif, there's the household of God, where God says, hey, the church doesn't replace Israel, the church is the fulfillment of the promises of God to a man named Abraham, all the way back through the Old Testament into the New Testament, the, the church is, part, is the completed part of, of what God had promised to Israel all along, right? So, there, the, depending on the lens you look through, causes you to interpret things differently. So I want us to talk today about chapter one. We're going to get into uh, the first 14 verses. I can't do justice to, this is 14 verses, and I'm already telling you that I could spend days and days and days and days. This, this, is, this is an overview, all right? But uh, I want you to understand the heart of God that's coming out of chapter one, and I'm going to start with a story. So Deanna and Larry Schrodes are a couple that Holly and I knew from Bible college. They, uh, they graduated from Valley Forge maybe a year or two years ahead of us. They've pastored in Florida, an Assembly of God church down there for the past number of years, and they are more friends of friends. We, we've known them because at Valley Forge there's only 500 people, and you kind of got to know everybody anyway. And she works, uh, she works for the Peninsula Florida District Office. She serves in the women's ministry there. She's a, an avid writer, uh, amazing woman. She's also adopted. And so for years and years and years and years, she asked her, uh, her biological mom, um, who's my father? And her mom would never tell her. So in 2012, uh, Deanna, uh, you know, got a DNA test. She found out that her dad was 100% bio dad is 100% Greek. And uh, so she was, uh, her mom died in 2013. She went and asked a, a friend of her mother, um, do you remember what his name was? Now, what's crazy is in 2012, she began to seek the Lord. And one day she was saying, Lord, you can do anything. I believe you can give me a word of knowledge. Would you tell me my dad's name? And she said, the Lord impressed on her that his name was Gus in 2012. And in 2014, she asked the, uh, her, her mom's friend, um, do you do you happen to know anything about my dad? You know, my mom wouldn't tell me anything. What what do you say? Can you tell me? She says, "Well, I don't remember a lot, but she said I think I think his name was Gus." Isn't that crazy? 
Well, the, the story, the plot thickens. So Deanna continues to pursue and try to figure out who her dad is. And so she enlists a group of people. She calls them her search angels. And uh, she gets her search angels to start checking. And she knows she's born in Richmond. So this just happened, uh, you know, a, about an hour from us. And uh, she, she begins to pursue. She knows, she, she knows when she's born because that's on her birth certificate. Uh, and she looks and she says, okay, let me, let's, let's just try searching for a Gus who is, you know, maybe maybe five or 10 years older or younger than my mom. And so they, they tried that criteria. And she goes on to say, and this is all in her May 13th post on Facebook, so I'm not talking you know, about her that's not public, it's public. And uh, so she says, you know, we, we began to look and we began to search. And, and she said, I, I even had people, she said, we, we searched every Gus that was by that name in the Richmond area. And she said, even some of them even offered uh, to get a DNA test. And she talks about how she just continued to press, continued to press, continued to press. Well, back in May this year, um, she, uh, she is on a Zoom call with a bunch of other ladies. And uh, the, the, the minister that day who was talking uh, about said, said we're going to finish up today. We're going to ask God three questions. And so I want you to write down your questions. And then I want you to just wait on the Lord and, and ask him, you know, what, what, what's the answer the Holy Spirit's saying? So her question was, Lord, will you this year, will you introduce me to my dad? I want to meet my dad. This has been a, more than a 10-year journey, but 10 years intensely she's been looking. And, and so one of her friends on the call is one of her search angels, and she put as her third question, let's help Deanna. Lord, will you help Deanna find her dad? At the conclusion of that call, they wrap it up at 4 o'clock, and Ancestry pops up, uh, and her friend, one of her search angels said, there's been a hit on Ancestry, and we now know that you are connected to this guy in Greece. He's a familiar match and uh, and he's a, a, a male in in your line it wasn't her dad but it was somebody directly connected well she got on the phone and she called Greece and it turns out it's a cousin and it turns out that the cousin knew about her but didn't know who she was just knew that she existed and so they talked for hours and she finds out that her dad uh, is 92 years old and still lives in Richmond how crazy is that want to know what his name is And, and so they begin this process of, of reuniting this daughter who's been searching for her biological dad, who, by the way, all of his family has died and he has no one else left in the world. And so, well, so the day that he gets a phone call and she, she, gets, she, she talks to him, she spends time, it takes a couple of weeks before she makes that connection. But when she makes that connection, she calls him up and, uh, and she says, I know it's getting late and you're probably tired. He said, honey, when I, went to bed last night I had no family and when I woke up today I find out that I have a son and a daughter and grandkids I'll stay up as long as I can isn't that amazing isn't that amazing God knows that we need family God knows that we need family the downside is all of us come from broken earthly families all of us were raised by imperfect parents. All of us, that for every one of us, there is not a person on the planet that can say that my parents, my upbringing was perfect. Everyone has got stories. All God's children got stuff. All God's children got stuff. Right? 
And, and so here's the reality. Here's the good news that God gives to us. Let's, let's get into the word today in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 1 because I want to talk a little bit about this idea of adoption. First, uh, in, the, in the first couple of verses, I'm going to read it. It's a lot, and I, I don't want you, some of y'all be like, oh, don't make us read it, Pastor Ken. Usually if it's under eight or ten verses, I will. This is long. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Who's it written to? The? It's right there. The what? The saints in Ephesus. The saints in Ephesus. Okay. So I, 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 want, I want you to close in on this meaning and I want you to hear me very carefully because you, you, need, you and I need to understand that the Bible was written for people who believe it. The Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say to people who don't believe it. God, God has feelings and he has thoughts about people that don't believe in him. And, and he knows that they could be better off. But the Bible was written for people who want to hear what God has to say and who position themselves to believe and hear his voice. And so everything that Paul is going to say is aimed at believers. It's aimed at believers. Right? And so you and I need to get a hold of that context. That's the lens that we're looking through today. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Notice two times in, in verses, one, uh, once in verse 2, once in verse 3, God, uh, Paul mentions God as Father. He's the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. So father is a predominant theme in here. And there's some words that are repeated, and I've got those highlighted in, uh, in your notes there. Um, for he chose us in him, verse 4, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the, la the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. I'm going to pause here for a second. You noticed how many times in those first few verses that he mentioned in Christ, in him. Uh, that is a prepositional uh, uh, phrase, right? In, in, above, uh, below. Those are locator terms. They tell you where something is positioned. It's a, it's a finder. If you've got a GPS, you've got to have some satellites, but then you have some three satellites, and, and they can tell you the, the approximation where, where something is down below. If you know Jesus, you are in Christ. That means every bit of what I'm reading is for you. Every part of it, God has chosen that, that you need to walk in it. It's your inheritance. When he said you're forgiven, you are forgiven. That's not for your neighbor. That's not for your holy grandma. That's not for Billy Graham. You are forgiven. In fact, he calls you saints. He called you a saint. He called you somebody who was called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We don't believe like uh, the, the old Catholic tradition that, you know, after you're safely dead and miracles that were, that were spoken in your name, uh, that, that you'll, they'll make you a saint after you die. No, it doesn't work that way. The, as soon as you, you call on Jesus, you become a saint. You are called out of darkness. You are brought into his marvelous light to declare his goodness. Amen. To declare his praises. Oh, I could get a little excited about that. 
I don't know where I stopped. Okay, in him we have redemption, verse 7, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will. Some of y'all needed to hear that twice. Um, and, and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head even Christ. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works everything out in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, as we get into the word here, I want you to understand uh, a couple of things. There are some words here that I want you to get a hold of that Paul repeats. Um, it, key words in these first 14 verses. The first one is predestined, and it means to foreordain or to decide beforehand. There are whole denominations that are built around this idea that, uh, that not only is God sovereign, and we believe in the sovereignty of God, but that he ordains who is going to be born again, who's going to be saved, and who's going to be lost. But I want to bring you to the context of the book of Ephesians and maybe simplify this thinking for you just a little bit. Notice here that Paul says to the saints, you are predestined. He doesn't say to a, an open group of people, okay, you got, some, you got a handful of believers here, you got a, a handful of unbelievers here. He doesn't say some of you are preordained, some of you are predestined, and some of you are lost. God knows that, that, th that not everybody is going to believe. Why? Because he has given each and every human being a free will choice. I can choose what I want for lunch. I can choose what I want on my hamburger. And I can choose if I want to believe in Jesus or not. Those, those decisions are far apart in their ramifications. Right? But all of those decisions are up to me. I get to choose, right? Does God know that, that the gospel, is it, when it's presented, that everybody is going to believe? He knows that some will believe and some will not believe. So, but he's decided that for the believers, for the believers, you are predestined to adoption. In other words, he's not going to stop halfway with you. He who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. That God sees you and God knows you and God loves you and he's brought you all the way in. You're, you're not out there on your own. You say, well, I don't feel saved. Well, if you believe in Jesus, you are saved regardless of your feelings. Do we always live like we're born again? We don't always live like we're born again, but we didn't, un, we didn't unbelieve ourselves. We just have bad habits that we need to work through. We have sins and we have weights that we have to get resolved in our lives. But that doesn't mean you're not born again, right? The, the seed of the word of God is on the inside of you and you will not continue to sin. Can I just tell you, if you're uncomfortable sinning, that's a good sign. That's a sign that you know better and that the, that the God who's on the inside of you isn't going to let you go. He's going to keep working on your conscience. He's going to keep saying, come on, that's beneath you. Stop living that way. 
Can I, can I just tell you one of, one of the strongest, earliest corrections I ever got in my, in my life as a young man? I'm going to tell on myself, Bible college student, wasn't living quite the way I needed to. But, you know, here, here's, here's the reality. I got born again at 17, went to Bible college, 18 years old. 18-year-old guys can get themselves into a little bit of trouble. Right? I was, one day I came back to the dorm. I was out with a young lady, not my wife. I hasten to say, not my wife. And I was out with a young lady after curfew. Go ahead, say it. And I walked in the dorm, and one of the brothers looked at me, and without any cynicism, without any sarcasm, he said, huh, I thought, I thought you were a holy man of God like us pursuing the Lord. Huh. That's all he said. Never followed it up with anything. I was so convicted. I was, so, I was like, never again. Never again am I going to live beneath my calling in Jesus Christ. Never again. I am going to, if I fall, I'm going to fall forward. I'm not going to back up. I'm not going to back up. And, and can I just tell you that you and I have to walk that out, but we walk it out in the context of the, of the new creation reality of who we are. The deliverer is on the inside of you. You have everything you need to live free from sin. Everything, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're pursuing God and you have everything you need and you are still chosen. But you have to choose him too, don't you? You have to walk out that calling. And so, so God wants you to know today uh, that you are predestined beforehand to conform to the image of Jesus. Chosen. It, it's, it comes from the word meaning lot. To appoint or obtain by lot. In, back in the day, when they, when they decided what God's decision was, say you had two people, you had, a, you, you had two people that were making a claim on a particular piece of property. And what they would do is they would, it, it, it's the old short straw that you got, you know, whenever you, uh, whenever you were uh, playing ball with somebody. And, and, and so we're going to pick teams. And so a, a seemingly even way to do it was to shorten up one of those straws and everybody pick a straw and whoever has a short straw, that's the person that walks the plank or whatever they're doing. I don't know. There was a casting of lots and with the casting of the lot, the decision was made right? So what God is saying in, in this is that you and I have been chosen by him. In other words, you are his lot. You are the one that he has decided. He has chosen you, your name, your DNA, your fingerprints, everything about you. God says, I have chosen you. I have chosen you. Now, there, we need to come to the reality of that because he said that in Christ, we are chosen. We have the same stand, standing that Jesus has with his father. That, that, that the father uh, loves the son and the son is the beloved of the father and Jesus is chosen of God and you and I have been chosen by him. That's good news. Somebody ought to get happy about that. And, and, and so the, 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 the final decision has already been made about you. God has already decided to choose you. So live that out. Walk that out. Take a hold of that and say, you know, many are called, but few are chosen. Right? The call goes out to everybody, but Jesus says it this way. He said, he said uh, wide is the way that leads to destruction. And narrow is the way that leads to life. And few are they that find it. 
So God understands. But when you and I sit here today and you have Jesus in your life, and there might be people here that don't have this understanding, so I want you to catch this, that when I say yes to Jesus, I'm confirming that I am chosen of God, that I'm his son. I'm confirming it. When I take a hold of that, that's for me. That's, that's God's word to me. I am chosen. The lot has been cast. Yeah, somebody's saying amen in the nursery. Last word we're going to touch on, and then, and then I'm going to preach a little bit. This last part is, uh, is the, <laughs> I know we have new people here and they don't know if I preach by the clock or by the calendar. So they're a little bit nervous right now. It's all right. It's all right. I always do my best to beat the Baptist to the buffet. And so we get out of here by 1115, something like that. We're all right. We're all right. The last, the last word is the, the seal or deposit. Um, it means to close up and to make fast. Here's what God says about you. So, so the, the first two words uh, that we talked about, predestined and chosen, the other word adoption is very close in their meaning with, with uh, you know, it's that familial side of it. In other words, the, the father went looking for you. And in Deanna's case, she went looking for her earthly father who was a DNA match. The DNA is the decisive part, right? Can't outrun your DNA, right? The DNA is the decisive part. And so in Deanna's case, she had to pursue her dad, whom she didn't know. In God's case, he's pursuing his children who knew not God, right? So, so he predestined that we would know him. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He chose us. He adopted us as sons. That's all on the legal side. Here's the experiential side. Here's the part that he says, and you also, verse, this is verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You and I only have access to the gospel because the person of the Holy Spirit convicted us. I was living my life. I was a punk, snot-nosed, 17-year-old that I could tell you what life was all about at 17. I could, I could argue you. I knew more than, I don't care how old you were. I knew what I knew. But at 17 years old, Holy Spirit, after I read a book called More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell, got to the end, read the, read the prayer, read the prayer again, read the prayer the third time in tears, you know, and I'm all by myself and I'm like, why am I crying? That's ridiculous. I'm 17 years old. I'm a guy. I don't cry. Holy Spirit had convicted me of who Jesus was and that I was living my life for, for very surface reasons and I was missing the most important part of life and that was Jesus. And I gave my life to Jesus on, on, in, in the living room of, of my, my mom's house and Windy Gap Road, Franklin, North Carolina. Gave my life to Jesus right there. And instantly something happened on the inside of me. I, you weren't there, so you don't know. But I'll tell you the story. When I woke up the next morning, the sun had never been bluer, the grass never greener, and I never felt forgiven before that moment in time. I didn't know what forgiveness felt like. I didn't know that I was carrying a burden of sin. I didn't know. 
But that day, when I woke up, I knew that I woke up as a child of God. Something happened in that prayer. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Something happened in the water when we baptized you. Something happened. Something happened when we took communion today. Something happened. Let me tell you, if, it, if nothing happens, you can have it. I don't, want a, I don't want a dead ritual. I don't have time for that. I want the reality of God in my life. A God came looking for me. God came and found a lost son on Windy Gap Road. God came looking. Your God has not forgotten about you. He wants you to know today. You've been chosen. You've been adopted. He's already decided. it. That's a done deal. God has decided it. You just get to cast your lot with him. You get to say, I can look at what I have or I can, I can reach up and I can say, God, I want what you've done for me. That's the best day of your life right there. That's the best day of your life. And so you say yes to God. And so I said yes to God. And you know what? Then what happened? I just got hungry. And let me tell you what happened spiritually. And I'll tell you what happened practically. Spiritually, the Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of Ken Kramer. And suddenly Ken Kramer at 17 years old wanted to read some ancient text called the Bible and it had a King James language that was hard for me to learn. Here I am in the mid 80s and what am I doing? I'm listening to Van Halen and Foreigner and the Eagles and Bob Seger and all that stuff. And, and what do I do? Holy Spirit convicts me and I get rid of all that and I start listening to Sandy Patty and <laughs> Petra and... Res band and whatever. I'm like, oh, the music back then, you don't need, y'all don't know how good you got it now. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you got born again in the 80s, the music back then, <sighs> message was great, but the music was, Ooh. I'm like Jimmy Bratcher says, you know, he said, there's no such thing as, as Christian music, non Christian music. It's good music and bad music. There was a lot of bad Christian music back in the day just so you know. What was going on though? I was so hungry to get to know my father. I was so hungry to get to know about this God who, who made me a new creation that I would carry that King James Bible with me my entire junior year, my entire senior year, put it on top of my books. Why? Because I get done with my schoolwork and I sit there and read the Bible. Who does that? That's just weird. But I didn't care. I just didn't care. I was just hungry. This, the, so spiritually speaking, it's the Holy Spirit that draws us to Christ and then teaches us who Christ is. But I knew that I was different. I understood on a practical basis that, that the Holy Spirit was working with me to teach me who he was. And so it was a real deal. And that's what Paul is saying here. He, he doesn't use my language, but he's saying, you are marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. What's that deposit mean? That, that deposit language, what's that? You go to buy a new car and you don't have the whole amount, but you say, hey, here's $500, hold the car for me. And, and what does that speak to the, to the person who's selling the vehicle? That means that money is earnest money. I'm going to hang on to it. Now the deal is, is all done. We just have to finish wrapping up the details of it. They have to show up with the rest of the money. But the earnest money, the down payment is paid to let you know that the rest of it's coming. That, that this transfer of, of, uh, this transfer of title and the transfer of ownership is already taking place. The down payment has already been paid. Let me tell you, you haven't gotten all of heaven yet. God left you in an earthly body. 
He left you with, a, with an earthly realm that you and I have to transform as we walk out our daily walk with God. But you know what? You have the one who is the down payment of heaven. And he's on the inside of you today. And there's a seal in your life. That, that seal language is kind of fascinating because in, in, uh, in that day, it, you know, we didn't have digital signatures. Anybody sign a digital signature? You know what I'm talking about on your documents, all that kind of stuff. Well, back then, they would just take a signet ring or a stamp and they would, uh, they would take some wax and they would put it on top of uh, two documents and then they would press that seal down on top of that and it would cover both sides of the documents and lock it up until the person uh, would get it who was going to receive it and open it. That was the official, that was authenticating. This is, this is uh, information that's on the inside of this is for the, the, the eyes of the, the reader. It was sealed. Holy Spirit in your life is the seal guaranteeing heaven, guaranteeing every promise of God guaranteeing that there there is a place that Jesus has prepared for us amen and that we can go to be with him one day how do I know that Holy Spirit makes it real to me on the inside he's the earnest he's the down payment the fact that I've been drawn to him and he lives on the inside of me so this is a practical side of it Notice the progression of how the church dealt with things in Acts 1 uh, and Acts 2. They had to elect a new apostle because Judas had gone on to his reward and they said, we've got to complete that number 12. And what did they do in Acts chapter 1 to, to come to completion? They cast what? They cast the lot and the lot fell to Matthias and they selected Matthias as the one who was going to replace Judas in the early church to be one of the original 12. But by the time we get to Acts chapter 13, the worship, the, the church was worshiping and fasting and they were together and there were prophets and teachers in the midst and the Holy Spirit spoke and said, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work I've called them to do. The Saul and Barnabas were apostles that were sent out because this early church that understood the presence of the Holy Spirit and understood how to discern what the Holy Spirit was saying said, God said to us that these guys are to be sent out from this house. They didn't cast lots. There was no lot to be cast. It was the presence of the Holy Spirit speaking that caused the church to surge forward in growth. Here's the thing I want you to understand about the person of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to close with this thought. We can get excited about the wind and the fire. We can talk about the water level of the Holy Spirit rising, all the metaphors that we use. Uh, Holy Spirit is a person, and he is the presence of God. He is the presence of God. And you and I need to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, Woo! patience, patience gentleness, meekness, kindness, all of those fruits of the Spirit, right? Why? Because that's Him growing His character on the inside of us. We need, there's a false dichotomy that exists in the church that say, well, if, you know, well, if I, I had to choose between the gifts and the fruit, I'd choose the fruit. Well, you don't have to choose. In fact, you can't choose because the Bible says you got to have both, Right? So there's gifts of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, but it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that we need to pay attention to uh, because He is the down payment of heaven. He is the authorization for how we live our lives. And so we lean into that. 
We lean into that, right? We lean into the person of the Holy Spirit, getting to know him. Every revival that's ever sustained was always because people learned to lean in to the person of the Holy Spirit. They got familiar with him. Not familiar to the place where they got sloppy about their walk with God. Because after all, he is the Holy Spirit. Holy is his first name, right? Part of his title. And so we need the person of the Holy Spirit to reveal God to us. He authorizes the work of God in our lives. He is the down payment. He is the down payment. You know, one of the things about, that I love about being adopted into the family of God, because we all do come from imperfect situations, and oftentimes our, our family members are the hardest ones to hear correction from. They can be the hardest ones to hang around. True story, don't read. You, you can put your head down and not look at anybody next to you. It's okay. But God, when you ask Jesus into your heart, he gives you hundreds of fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. He gives you a family. And none of us are perfect, but you know what I've discovered in walking with the Lord all of these years is that I can take something that I see of Jesus in somebody's life and I can ask them about it and say, how did you get here? And they'll say, you know what? Let me tell you my story. And they start sharing the grace of God that's on their life. And you know what? I can have that same grace of God. I've learned more from men in this church how to be a husband than I ever learned from my dad. I've learned more from the women in this church how to how to uh, nurture and look after and care and I've been looked after and cared for I got grandmothers in this house I got spiritual mothers in this house you know what that is the blessing isn't it of being part of the family of God we don't have to compete for anything because in Christ we have it all ready your gift isn't just your gift your gift is my gift too it's here to minister to me. And my gift is here to minister to you. And so we don't have to be stingy. In fact, we can be generous. Freely you have received. Freely give, right? And so God has blessed us. And it's a beautiful thing. And how did we get that? We've been adopted into the family of God. Praise God. Praise God. Let's just bow our heads and uh, close our eyes for a moment. Let's just let the Lord minister that to our hearts today. You have a father who loves you and he's been searching for you. He never gives up. He keeps pursuing you. He wants you to know him because he's got an inheritance for you. He wants you to know what it's like to be his child. If you don't know your heavenly father, Jesus came to make him known. You say, I want to know what God looks like. Look at Jesus. The clearest picture of what God looks like is in the person of Jesus Christ. Lived his life sacrificially. Randy did such a fantastic job talking to us about the, the sacrificial death of Jesus on your behalf. But if you want God to be your heavenly father today, you got to come through the sun. You can't just do it your own way. Well, I hope my good works add up. Your, your good works never would add up. A thousand lifetimes wouldn't be enough for all your good works to add up for you to be God's child. In fact, that's not how it works anyway. You put faith in what Jesus has done. Faith in the word of the Lord. This is the work of God to believe in the one he has sent. That's God's work. 
So if you want God as your heavenly father today, just slip up your hand. I want to agree with you in prayer. You want God as your heavenly father. He's already adopted you. Amen. I see your hand. Others this morning. Amen. You want God as your heavenly father. Anyone else? Praise God. Yes. Yes. Jesus took all of your sin upon himself to get sin out of the way so that you could have a clear relationship with your heavenly father. And here's how you accept that. Romans chapter 10 gives us a guideline. It says, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That means you're separated from your old lifestyle. You're separated from the things that weighed you down. And the person of the Holy Spirit, who is the deliverer of sin, he is the one that can deliver you. He is the one that reveals truth on the inside of you. He comes to live on the inside of you, and he reveals the Father. Let's all pray this out loud together. Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to carry my sin away so I could have a right relationship with you. I believe, Father, that you raised Jesus from the dead. And by believing, I have life in his name. I thank you for it. I'm part of your family. I call you my father. I'm never going to be the same. In Jesus' name, amen.